0: Tonight's live presentation of De Omine. We are live in the Crusade Channel Studios, King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers here in Mandeville, Louisiana, a suburb of New Orleans, Louisiana. We'll be covering De Omine lecture number three out of 31 lectures in the series, originally recorded back in the 1980s by Brother Francis Malouf of the MCIM. St. Augustine Center, and uh, we are now turning to the St. Benedict Center in Richmond, New Hampshire, who is now the proprietor, if you will, and uh, the owner of the lecture series and the promoter of them, and uh, our very own brother, Andre Marie, host of Reconquest, here on the Crusade Channel, who will guide us through the discussion and the chat room tonight. If you're listening to this on our preview channel and you wish to join the chat, it's free. Don't cost nothing. All one needs to do is go to my website. We'll Go to any other website. My website, Mike MikeChurch.mikechurch.com. M-I-K-E-C-H-U-R-C-H dot com. If you will patiently wait for the top of the page to rotate, one of the items that will rotate to the top is the De'Aumene Lecture Series homepage. Click that, baby, and when it opens up, the chat bar will be near the top of the page I suggest you open the chat up in a new window, which the little icons will tell you to do, and then you can log in with a Twitter ID or with a Facebook, or as a guest, or as no one. It doesn't really matter. Uh, That's how you get into the chat room. Uh, It's not meant to be complicated. It's not meant to be difficult. Uh, We've made it as easy as is humanly possible to our our thinking. Uh, A couple of programming notes before I turn Brother Andre Marie loose on you, uh, and we get uh, into the discussion here on uh, Dominate Lecture 3. On the same website, at mikechurch.com, there are now uh, three Domine episodes, and you can actually filter by, the, uh, by that category in one of the links I sent out with the email earlier today. So each lecture now has, each, each discussion now has its own little page, so that ensures that each individual uh, audio recording that goes along with each lecture is identified as uh, being tied to that lecture. It even gives the date that it was originally aired here. And that also automatically adds it to the Philosophia Perennis, the uh, MikeChurch.com Philosophia Perennis podcast feed. And there's a link to subscribe to that uh, on the De homepage homepage that you can follow. Again, I, I regret to inform you that I cannot, I simply do not have the time to troubleshoot anyone who's having difficulty with the RSS or the podcast feed, but there's plenty of Google searches out there that you could utilize uh, to nail that down, and many people have, so uh, uh, we know that it works. Sometimes it just takes a little bit of uh, elbow grease and trial and error to get it right. Having said all that and having updated you on what's on the uh, website, let's turn to Brother Andre Marie, who is live with us from the uh, St. Benedict Center in Richmond, New Hampshire. And... uh, Uh, At the end of the last, uh, what, three weeks or four weeks of uh, uh, winter weather here, brother. How's the weather in? Good evening to you. Well, I'm glad that that the thaw has begun, or it looks like uh, the thaw may begin. Uh, The Almanet Lecture 3, what are we in for tonight? Talk about the
1: irascible passion. First of all, the concupiscibles. let's review. We've got hate, desire and aversion, and joy, and... Um, despair, there was, no, no, joy, and um, with the irascible passions, th- there is that, remember, there is that additional element of fighting. Uh, the, the irascible passions are uh, pursue the good in as much as it is difficult to attain, and whereas the concupiscible passions either pursue the good or flee the evil simply, as it is a simple affair, you 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 like the pie, you love the pie, or you hate the salad or whatever. Um, there's no there's no um, element of struggle in the concupiscibles, but in the irascibles there's an element of struggle, and in the irascibles there is um, the necessity of a fight. Um, the irascibles al- always arise. When there is some conflict, so brother spent a lot of time talking about that. He spent a lot of time summarizing um, brother Francis's um, article two of question eighty one from the first part of the Summa, which basically the burden of that question in the Summa is why is there only two? Why are there why are there two distinct kinds of sensitive appetite and not? One. OK, so let me explain what that. Means. There is a sensitive appetite, and this is general. This is our power of sensation. This is this is the the appetition that we have in our um, sensitive nature and our sensual nature, which is to say that which we have in common with the animals. The appetition that we have is called the appetitive power. And it's, it's on the other side of that chart. Remember, we kept referring to that chart of the 26 human powers. On one side, we've got the cognitive powers. and the other side, we've got the appetitive powers. And without the cognitive powers, of course, you don't have the appetitive powers. Because unless you know it, you can't love it or want it, right? So the uh, appetitive power in general, speaking very generally, it's one power. We can speak of it as one power in man. The question that St. Thomas is asking, though, is wh- why do we divide it between irascible and concupiscible? Shouldn't it just be one, one power and not distinguishing it into two distinct ones? So he quotes as his authority a couple of the f- fathers of the church, actually, who had a lot to say about um, anthropology, about, about um, what, what constitutes man. And he quotes St. John Damaschine and I believe St. Gregory of Nyssa, and the two of them um, say that in man there is an irascible appetite and a concupiscible appetite. Right. So St. Thomas uses them as an authority, and then he goes on to argue that the concupiscible appetite is directed towards the good, simply speaking, or directed away from the evil, simply speaking. And that's what it, that's essentially what it does. It's limited to that but whenever there's an element of combat of fight of conflict then there has to be a distinct power and and the question of course can be asked well well, why um the concupiscible appetite seeks for what we love now we love comfort we love uh you know uh having our our most um basic desires fulfilled and the concupiscible appetite is going to tend towards that. But supposing those things become endangered, supposing our good becomes endangered, something in us has to be aroused that's going to go to combat. Now, the concupiscible passions are directed towards the good, and they're not going to be directed towards what's difficult. They're not going to be directed towards what's, what's um, unpleasant. But something in us has to be directed towards the unpleasant. Something in us has to almost plunge itself into what's painful in order to safeguard the things that we love. That's where we have the irascible appetites. So as Brother Francis said, you know, you have these these, these birds, you know, some bird defending her nest mm-hmm. from an aggressor, from from maybe some other bird or some other animal that's trying to get at the eggs. Well, the bird goes into fight, not because suddenly the bird finds being attacked by some other animal pleasurable, but because the good that that bird instinctively wants to preserve is now in danger. And the irascible appetites have to be have to be aroused. So this is why God put those into us, and and remember, we have this in common with the animals. So God put put this into all of the animals, including rational animals, that's us. In our case, of course, we have to control it with reason, and we we have to measure it and proportion it according to what reason says, and not simply our basest instincts. But in the animals, this is the height of what they've got. So you really see the irascible appetites, you know, the mama bear, right, defending her cubs. It's not that she wants to go after the thing that's endangering them. Simply, she wants to go after that thing, even if it's bigger than her, even if it can kill her. Right. In order to safeguard that thing, which, simply speaking, she loves, which is her offspring. So that's kind of a... Rundown uh, or a very simple, a very glaring simplification of the necessity of the irascibles. So you see that when Brother Francis says that the irascibles arise out of the concupiscibles, uh, you see what it means. So, for instance, if you love your f- food and somebody is trying to steal your food, then you are aroused to anger. You are aroused even to courage to defend your food. You are aroused uh, to um, fear when that person that that person might steal your food. All of the irascible uh, appetites are are aroused when the thing that you love simply is now endangered. So this is this is the purpose of having the irascibles and not just the concupiscible passions. And there's an interesting way that the two passions, the two, the two appetites, and I'm speaking generally of the concupiscible and the irascible as appetites, not the 11 individual passions, but th- there's an interesting way that they tend to offset each other. Brother Francis no- noted, he quotes St. Thomas, concupiscence on being aroused diminishes anger and anger being aroused diminishes concupiscence in many cases so we can see this in we can see this in different ways okay you can see it easily in an individual you can probably see it in yourself if you're enjoying something you know if you have the concupiscible passion of of pleasure or 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 delight when you're say eating your ice cream or something And something immediately endangers that, the irascible passion that wants to defend it from the person who's stealing your ice cream um, is going to diminish your concupiscence. You're not so much interested in eating the ice cream and that pleasure now as going after that person and, 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 uh, say, neutralizing the threat. And once that's done, once that irascible passion is is satisfied, then it will diminish and give it, give way to, 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 to concupiscence. I hope I'm not making I hope I'm making sense here, because Brother Francis actually makes kind of a, a very big cultural point concerning this. Um, that in in the history of nations, there have been nations that have been annihilated because they weren't properly irascible. They were too concupiscible and they had no fight in them. And because they had no fight in them, they were easily conquered. And while I didn't spend a long time dwelling on the history of nations and so forth and trying to come up with examples, in classical Greek antiquity, you can certainly think of the two uh, city states of um, Sparta and of Athens. And the, the, the Athenians, you might say, were more concupiscible, not because they were hedonists or anything. But they were they were the ones who produced culture and arts and uh, poetry, uh, beauty, philosophy, refined and beautiful things. They contemplated a lot and so forth. The Spartans, on the other hand, fought, 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 fought. So the Spartans were great warriors and you can easily imagine that in such a society there was a, there was less of an appreciation for aesthetic beauty and we know for a fact that, that there was less of an appreciation for aesthetic beauty whereas the, among the Athenians they they relished aesthetic beauty and the the kind of things that you would associate with the concupiscible passions now i don't want to suggest that the athenians didn't have enough irascible passions to, to overcome sloth and all the other things that you would need to produce a culture that was so prodigiously um, rich in its and its uh, output of, of poetry and philosophy and so forth. But certainly they, they, they didn't major in the irascibles the way that the um, the way that the Spartans did. And as a result, they were they were they could be conquered and, and, and were. Okay, so the, uh, the, the ideal society, you might say, historically, would be a society that wedded the two um, under a high moral code. And of course, we can think of the code of chivalry that existed in, 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 in the ages of, of, of the faith in Christendom, where um, the, the chivalry wasn't simply unchained aggression and unchained irascibility, Uh, chivalry was was very guarded and 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 circumscribed by by principle by high principle Um, and it 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 believed in defending the weak and the defenseless and so forth so you can see that there's a balance there it was it was a society that was very productive of art and culture uh, and and religion yet it was also a society that was not that did not um, shy away from from combat therefore Sort of the ideal characters, and you'll find this trinity of 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 people who were considered sort of the bedrock of, of civilization in Christendom. It would be the monk, the farmer, and the soldier. You know, the, so there's this nice blend of 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 concupiscence and irascibility there.
0: But the soldier's irascibility is only called into action when it's uh, when it's necessary, right? Yeah.
1: Well, yes, and that's the nature of, of, of irascibility. That's absolutely the nature of irascibility. We have, to have, we, we, we have to have the irascible passions, as it were, as guardians over what is rightly loved. So, again, thinking of the animals, you know, the, the um, St. Thomas, this is not me, this is St. Thomas, he says that animals, you know, and he must have observed animals, he says animals mostly fight over food and sex. <laughs> and this is right in the summa i put the, i put the link up to the article in the summa um and he he had it that um the the uh so that there those are the concupiscible passions right food and sex we we and and bro, brother makes it plain that we like food because god put it in us as to preserve self if we didn't eat we'd die so god made it pleasurable so that we, we, we can survive. Ditto with sex, only that sex applies not to um, the preservation of self, but the preservation of the species. So so it's kind of related to food, and both of them are governed by the temporal, but by the virtue of temperance, and both of them um, are concupiscible passions, you know, love. We, we love these things. We love these things and pursue them, therefore. But when they are endangered, when we don't get the one or the other, we go into combat. And so you can see it in the animal kingdom where, you know, they fight over food. And if you've ever seen two dogs fight over a bone or you've ever seen, you know, Mutual Omaha's Wild Kingdom or some other public <laughs> television thing where animals are going at it, hammer and tong, you know, they'll go, after, they'll go at it over food. Um, they will also go at it within a, within a species over, um, you know, the, the, the getting the right female, you know, so the two males will fight like nuts to get uh, to, to, to win the female. And uh, so St. Thomas making this very simple observation says these are the things that animals fight over. But note that those things are a matter of concupiscence. Those are a matter of of the simple attraction to the goods of food and of reproduction.
0: I was always fascinated, brother, by... the
1: fight is an (laughs) irascible thing.
0: I was always fascinated, brother, by the uh, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, by uh, Marlon uh, Perkins' concupiscible uh, reactions to his partner, Jim, who was always out fighting the snake or wrestling the lion or whatever. And he'd sit there and go, notice how Jim keeps his head above water as the 30 foot long anaconda tries to drown him.
1: Yeah. And then of course it was always funny when Jim was replaced by another guy the next week. (laughs) But but yeah, so this is what we notice in the animal kingdom. And of course it's true in us. I mean, good Lord tales of epic poetry and all this stuff, you know, it talks about, it talks about these same things uh not so much fighting over food but but fighting over um you know basic human needs and these are these are often what war warfare is over um you know i i I remember reading about you know so, so if you take food and sex as the the more basic needs and you add to them other needs that we have so we need food. What, what was it that Suzanne Sherman was telling you the other day? The three things that you think of preparing for, you have to have food, food water, water, and shelter. And
0: shelter. Right? Food, water, shelter. Food, water right? and
1: shelter. Well, you know, you might add to that some of the other things that we tend to think now are necessary, like electricity. Well, what what, what was it that the Japanese and the Chinese were fighting over in, in the second um, Sino-Japanese War, which became the pacific theater of world war ii access to japan access for japan to what was then china's oil fields um this is something i learned fairly recently i mean this is why japan has so depended upon nuclear power with fukushima and all that stuff they're so dependent upon nuclear power because when they lost the second sino japanese war okay they didn't have access to oil so they had to develop so in other words, it's it's the, the, the necessities of life or the perceived necessity of life and access to them that arouses the irascibility that brings us to war frequently. I mean, often now, now I'm not saying any, I'm not saying it's always reasonable. Obviously, there's a lack of balance. So these war hawks, you know, they're doing it for money, you know, for, the, for, for themselves and so forth. That's a different matter. But now, the the principal pursuit um, in going to war is the defense of of um,
0: things that you those love. Things which the concupiscible appetites
1: fundamentally now, want.
0: Now, brother! There's a question in the chat room from uh, Jen- Jennifer Lyle Smathers, and she wants to know uh, what about tournaments that are in place of wars, like uh, jousting tournaments and you know tournaments that knights may have had, things like that.
1: Okay, sorry, Jennifer. I didn't I didn't see that, but. Um, well, yeah, I mean, all all sports, you know, all sports originated in uh, war games, all sports. I mean, football, soccer, uh, basketball. I mean, you know, why is it that you have to go into enemy territory in order to get a point? That's right. <laughs> so all of them, all of them came from war games, which is why it was always a male thing, because it was... Uh, because only males went to war. So you had, you had the, 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 what we would call contact sports today was always some variation of a war game or another. And then you had, of course, purely tactical arts, which were training for strategists, generals and so forth. And, and, and you had chess and you had things, you know, all military guys were expected to play chess because they were expected to be, to, to learn how to be strategic. But in, in, in sport, if there's a va- and you might recall that in this particular lecture, brother actually almost uncharacteristically praised sports. Now, that's not typical of him. He, he was not. He, I, n- I never saw him pick up a ball. I mean, I you you mean he never walked around the St.
0: Benedict Center in a in a Patriots jersey? Yeah. Now, wait
1: a minute. Actually, I correct myself. He was a he was a, a stunningly good ping pong player in his day. So, Brother Francis actually did play ping pong.
0: So he was Brother Gump.
1: Yeah, <laughs> well, I
0: wouldn't call him that, but he
1: was, he was really good at ping pong. Uh, but but he was defending um, sports, um, and I I think that this is why because sports can be very good training to discipline the irascibles, because when you ha- what is what is sportsmanship. Ask yourself what sportsmanship is. It's being able to go out and to and to arouse all of these passions that are aimed at aiming at what the irascibles are directed towards the arduous and the difficult, the good as it is difficult to attain. Right. So that brings out all the fighting instincts in us. But in order to temper it with virtue so that you know in order to temper it so that you don't kill the other guy, you have to practice virtue. So if we talk about a code of sportsmanship, this is roughly analogous to the code of chivalry. And in fact, this is where the Knights learned it. The joust, uh, 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 tournaments of swordsmanship, and similar games which were to train the person in the techniques involved in the actual combat, but also to teach them the virtues that are, that are involved. Um, and you see this, of course, even in, even in a, a pagan code of, of conduct such as Japanese Bushido, where they have to learn to keep their cool, at the very least, when you're, when you're practicing the art of war. You 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 have to at least keep your cool because if you lose your temper, of course, that's just bad strategy. You're going to lose. Um, I hope I answered that, Jennifer. Now you have a question, women, Jennifer, and I really don't know what you're getting at. Um, but uh, if you could be more specific, um, then I'll I'll uh, I'll let you know. I'll I'll answer it. Uh, Rich, Mike Richard had a question earlier.
0: Uh, when Brother Francis commented on quarrels of animals and when man is reduced to this level, he is below the animals because their actions are ordered by instinct, ours are not. Well, we we haven't gotten to that uh, part of the the discussion yet, uh, because that's almost at the end. I I know this because I just listened to it. So I actually had the same question that uh, I thought that was fascinating. I I think, Richard, it's a good question because I was pondering the same one. Brother, you want to tackle that now? so he's saying yeah sure okay Um, he's
1: saying what is ordering human actions in this case okay so in in the animal kingdom the animals don't have intelligence and they don't have free will Um, but um, oh wait I'm sorry I'm laughing because just as I'm saying animals don't have an intellect and a free will, I noticed that Jennifer said that women was what people were fighting over. Just a theory. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 yeah,
1: Jennifer, that that's definitely true. And in fact, chivalry, as it started to go bad, was all about what they called courtly love. So all this courtly love poetry where these guys are groaning and, and um, acting all smitten by, by the, 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 the woman that they love and... It got a little bit ridiculous, and I would argue that the irascible diminished substantially, and the concupiscible arose. And um, courtly love was the, was the death knell to chivalry, not always, but courtly love got extremely decadent, um, and um, it became and 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 the and the fights became a matter of pleasing women, and not practicing virtue and learning the excellence of of warcraft so thank you for that (laughs) thank you for that contribution jennifer i think you're on to something so richard um to answer your question the the um so men have humans have intellect and will and our actions are supposed to be regulated by that remember saint thomas is going to say that sin is when we act contrary to reason and we have to regulate our passions in in Um, according to the measure of reason so we have something higher to govern our passions than the animals do for the animals it's a matter of instinct but for us there there is the intellect and there is the will and when the human will is corrupted we are worse than the animals, because the animals can only go after what they perceive as the good by their instincts. The human will, when it's corrupted, and and original sin corrupts, therefore we constantly have to be on our watch, we have to be vigilant, Um, the human will, when it's corrupted, can go after something not only contrary to reason, but even contrary to our own best interest, and to the best interest of people we love and so forth. So it's not simply a matter of guarding something by virtue of instinct, we can, be, we can become wickedly cunning, we can become destructive. So, um, and, and hatred when it's um, sort of honed to, to perfection, as it were, to a malign perfection in the, in the ill will of a man, is capable of being far more destructive than it is in an animal. So um, and again, this is a question of the loss of uh, this is a question of, of, of sin. This is a question of of uh, the, the disorder of all of these appetites that entered in with sin. Animals felt the effect of the fall, but in a way different than us. And they don't have original sin, so they don't, they don't have these things. Um, but for us, we can act far more wickedly, and we can want something that's that's morally w- evil, whereas animals aren't capable of that. Okay, so Richard asks, so it would be a defect of the intellect and the will resulting in sin, absolutely.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Absolutely. You're listening so, to De'Omane lecture number three, and our online classroom, and on-air cl- classroom, and online chat room on the subject you can listen to the previous two episodes and our classic, uh, our, our chat room discussions or our on air classroom discussions at MikeChurch.com. Just look under the subtitle or under the menu title Catholicism and Philosophia Perennis, and it will take you right to the latest episodes. And they are free to listen to. Uh, you can also subscribe to the podcast feed, which is free, don't cost nothing. And we hope you'll be here every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Eastern for. Brand new lectures, Uh, for example, this week we're covering Dahomey Lecture 4. Next week we'll be covering uh, Dahomey Lecture 3 tonight. Next week will be Dahomey Lecture 4, and so on and so forth. Uh, You can get the lecture series, 31 lectures in all, by Brother Francis Malouf, Gentlemen, if you're listening to this and uh, you have some trepidation over this, I might suggest that uh, you hang around and listen to a couple of weeks' worth, and I think that you will be uh, won over to the fact that you're hearing things that no one else ever taught you, and they start to make imminent uh, sense because they are true. Well, then, just go to Catholicism.org, and you can find a lecture series there as an mp3 download. And if you're having trouble finding them and you'd like to receive a discount, just send me an email, kingdude, K-I-N-G-D-U-D-E, at mikechurch.com. Or find Brother Andre Marie hiding in plain sight on the uh, Facebook, Brother Andre, and on the Twitter, uh, Brother underscore Andre, or his email address, bam, B-A-M, at catholicism. Org. Uh brother. Uh, tonight is episode number. I always get the number wrong, so I won't even guess. Uh, reconquest and what is on it? Uh,
1: tonight is episode number 64 of Reconquest. If uh, hopefully I'm not getting it wrong, that'd be embarrassing. Uh, and my guest is a, a lady named Jennifer Lal from California, and it's called Bioethical Nightmares. Um, she's a, she's a bioethicist, um, who founded an organization called the Center for Bioethics and Culture, which is based in the, um, San Francisco Bay area of California. And, um, she's a very ardent, um, pro-lifer, but interestingly, she got to the pro-life position by the study of medical ethics. Wow. And, um, and the whole, the whole, she's produced a number of videos, uh, on, um, various various uh, uh bio bioethical subjects, but mostly on areas that we would call um, assisted reproductive technologies
0: yeah i've uh, I've seen some of her videos works really good
1: so yeah i mean <clears throat> if it's not uh i mean my my I did this show almost as a public service announcement because when I heard a talk that she gave at, at a at a, at a pro life march here in New Hampshire uh i was stunned at some of the things that i learned and it's uh i mean all this huxley doesn't have anything on on what we're doing now or actually i mean we're heading towards things that he did and i think in some ways we're heading towards things that he wrote about and in some ways i think we've surpassed surpassed him so you know five parent children and i mean just its oh, unbelievable so um if you have a teenage or college-age daughter, please, please listen to this. Listen and, to and, and and learn what you need to warn your daughter not to be lured in by right, she goes right. To college.
0: Uh, that's a, a reconquest which airs t- immediately following tonight's uh, Dahomey uh, classroom and chat room discussion, right here on the Crusade Channel. Of course, if you missed any of the previous 63 episodes, they're all available for download at crusadechannel.com. If you are a Founders Past member, let me throw a plug in. We are six days away from ending our contest to give away a 2017 black automatic transmission Kia Soul automobile. It's brand new. It's never been driven. It's my car. I want it, and uh, I am wagering that many of you would like to win the car from me and would buy a chance to do so. It might even attract some new Founders Past members to our effort here on the Crusade Channel. And so we put it up on the block, and uh, we're seeing an increase in ticket sales every day. Uh, brother, uh, uh, you can get a ticket at crusadechannel.com on the, under the Golden uh, Truth ticket uh, menu item at the top left-hand corner of the page, or from my site at mikechurch.com. Of course, you have to be a Founders Pass member, and uh, with 63 episodes of Reconquest to download, why wouldn't you want to be a Founders Pass member? So sign up today. By the week, uh, I'm sorry, by the month, or by the year. Simple to do, as little as twenty-three cents per day at crusadechannel.com. Uh, brother it brings up something that I think we might have enough time to cover this. So you might have heard me say this today, and I had you in mind and brother when I was thinking about this. Mrs. Church has taken to watching this uh, this horrid uh, sci-fi uh, television series called Humans on the movie channel on the uh, American uh, American Movie Classics AMC. Did you hear me talking about this?
1: No, no, I didn't, Mike.
0: Okay, so this has something to do with what we're talking about. Uh, you said that when uh, humans uh, suppress the uh, the free will and uh, the intellect beyond what the animals do, that the, uh, when they don't use when we don't use reason, that we actually are capable of doing things that are worse than the animals, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, in this ridiculous series, these uh, animatrons, if you will, these these, these robots. Uh, somehow, mystically and magically, acquire sentience. And then they acquire passions. And then they acquire emotions. And then they're fully functioning, artificial in, uh, uh, intelligences that really aren't artificial anymore. And uh, now they're petitioning that they need to have their day in court because they're regular humans. If they kill someone, they get tried for murder, and they get to the same punishment instead of just being uh, di- uh, disconnected. And I was talking about this today, about how far off course. Now, this would be science fiction. Of course, it's science fiction. But anyone that thinks that this is possible ought to take a stroll down Brother Francis, St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, Aristotle Lane. Because my uh, uh, argument to the audience is, is don't get entrapped in this ridiculous obsession that these weirdos, these atheist weirdos like Elon Musk have with artificial intelligence. If it's, if, it, if it's not organic, if it's not life, if it doesn't have a soul, which is the principle of life in a creative thing, then it can't have will and it can't have intellect because that comes from the soul. So there can't be any passions. There can't be any emotions. There can be algorithms that can mimic them, but they can't actually be there. It can't be alive because it's not alive. Am I right or am I wrong?
1: You're right. I mean, of course, the danger of Elon Musk and, and people like him. And it's funny because I actually brought up Elon Musk with uh, Jennifer uh, Lal in the conversation. Okay. Um, the and and by the way, this is not unrelated to what we're talking about here, obviously, because it has to do with de homine. But um, uh, the da- the real danger of Elon Musk is is. is is okay. So he's working in artificial intelligence, developing artificial intelligence at the very same time that he's warning the world of all of the horrible things that might happen with artificial intelligence. And recently, he said something about how dangerously close we are actually to killer robots. Once these robots get artificial intelligence, now he might just be—he might just have a, a gift for for melodrama and some of these things. But the real danger of Elon Musk. Is where he says, which he did recently, that for humans to stay relevant, we're going to have to become cyborgs in order to continue to c- compete with, with robots. Now, you can make a human a cyborg uh, with nanotechnology. I mean, in, in the short, in the near, in the near future, they're going to be injecting humans with nanobots. I mean, ask your friend Greg about this. Right, Greg right. <clears throat> So uh they they can they can uh, in, uh inject nanobot technology into us and they, these guys these google guys and all of these these um brilliant idiots that are that are controlling our destinies now or think they are they're talking about you know um transhumanism and 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 human 2.0 and all this stuff and this is something that Jennifer Law actually also is is exploring she says that her organization majors in taking death make you know taking life making life and faking life and the whole um, transhumanism thing and the whole um, uh, cyborg thing that's faking life
0: faking life right
1: and you know they want to prolong human at the same time that they want to kill people because there's a supposed um, overpopulation problem which there's not it's a myth they also want to prolong the lives of certain people so that they can live indefinitely uh, and and by by enhancing them with technology and this of course is faking life the, to me that's the real danger of Elon Musk is on the one hand he's pushing this AI stuff for robots and on the other hand he's saying that if we want to compete with these monsters these Frankensteins of our own creation we'll essentially have to become Frankensteins ourselves by enhancing ourselves with um, these technologies. And yeah, you cannot, life comes from life and you cannot have, uh, unless there is an actual human conception that comes from the the fertilization of a human egg with a human human sperm, you're not going to have a, a living human being that's got humanity about it that's got an, that's got a human soul but if you get that if you have one of those and then you start experimenting with it as we've been doing for years um, by first of all by making life in in a, in a not not a test tube technically in a, in a um, what do they call a petri dish um, we've been doing that for 40 something years now about 40 years. But it's going to get worse and worse, though, and we're going to start trying to enhance life. And, and what, what's going to happen uh, with all of these mutants that we make in the coming years from from this attempt to infuse technology into, into humans? It's well, extremely unethical.
0: Well, these monsters, they've just crossed a pig with human uh, in order to try to grow. Uh, the scam is, well, we're trying to grow organs that are perfectly... Uh, acceptable on a body, you don't have to wait for body parts and for organ transplants, blah 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 blah. Uh, but the chimeras, and they're actually calling them chimeras. They admit that they're chimeras. Uh, are they because you're you, they're using human DNA? Uh, it's just it's 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 just it's gone too far. And uh, your doctor friend's not the only one. I have a friend, uh, John White, I believe is his name, who's written a book about this, and he's written several books about this, and uh, he's on the same trail uh wesley smith i'm sorry you ought to interview wesley smith culture of death the age of of do harm medicine uh he's got about five books out on this same subject here brother uh this stuff is troubling and it's getting more troubling and uh ethics what do these people know about ethics couldn't define ethics if you paid them to define ethics
1: no no because they have no clue uh no absolutely no clue um so Brother Francis, can we, can we move on back to the, Let's
0: get back to, uh, to the okay. actual Domine. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so
1: <clears throat> Brother Francis spent a little time on kind of a tangent talking about the inner senses. And I think it's important for those who weren't here for the full philosophy course when we went into the, the course on psychology, we talked about the four inner senses. And he went, on, he went on that little tangent because St. Thomas referred to them in, in his um, article in the Summa that Brother quoted. The four inner senses, now we all know about the external senses, right? We, we talk about sight, hearing, smell, taste, and touch. Those five inner senses, five external senses from which we get knowledge. Now a sound principle of scholastic epistemology, the theory of knowledge, is that there is nothing in the intellect that doesn't first come to it through the senses. And um, this is something that is that is true. I mean, God, of course, can miraculously infuse knowledge into somebody's soul directly. But other than that, which is rare, um, everything we know in our intellect came through sense knowledge. We heard it or we saw it or we smelt it or we tasted it or we touched it and this created phantasms in our brain which are basically images in the brain and then from there the intellect can abstract natures and essences of things and and gain knowledge in a spiritual sense and 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 relish truth but without without the uh, external senses the intellect doesn't get truth and also without the inner senses and what's that that's the imagination that's the sense by which we get those phantasm phantasms or images there's the memory which stores up those images it's the sense memory not the same as the intellectual memory but it's the sense memory and there is the the inner sense also which is sometimes called the synthesizing sense or the common sense but it's not to be mistaken with what we commonly mean by common sense. (laughs) So the the common sense or the the synthesizing sense is that thing which triangulates the knowledge we have from all of our senses into one um, uh, concrete whole. Hmm? And then we also have what what in animals we call instinct, but which in us we call the cognitive sense or the estimative sense. This is all localized in our brain. And these internal senses localize they're organic. In other words, every sense that we have, the, by way of external senses, have an organ. So for sight, it's the eye. For hearing, it's the ear. For smell, it's the nose. For taste, it's the taste buds. And for touch, it's the nervous system, the nerves, which are all over our body. But when you talk about um, the inner senses, they are too localized in an organ, only it's the same organ and it's the brain and unfortunately uh modern man worships the brain and he, and he neglects the soul sure but without the brain we wouldn't know we wouldn't have a uh, knowledge in our intellect because all of the knowledge in our intellect comes first through the senses or as brother francis says it over and over and over again we don't think with our brain because thought is a rational process right right so it uses the intellect we don't think with the brain but we can't think without it. Without it. So That's this right. is why somebody who has you know, dementia or Alzheimer's or something where the brain is impacted, uh, his, his, his thought is going to be seriously diminished. We men are a, are a composite of form and matter of body and soul, and therefore the soul is impacted by things that, that, that uh, detract from the body, from bodily illnesses, and especially when the brain's affected, it affects our ability to, to know. And certainly our ability to express ourselves so those four senses are are, are, uh, important remember that's on the cognitive side remember if you you have that chart in your head it's on the left hand side of our powers okay but on the right hand side of our powers are the appetitions the appetites and that's that's where the 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 passions lay so um, going back to the passions Brother Francis says that um, the irascible and the concupiscible powers are two powers they're both species of the same appetite which is sense appetite the concupiscibles go simply towards what is desirable or avoid what is not desirable there's no difficulty involved Um, okay some of the stuff we already said I'm looking at the notes here Um, hatred belongs to the concupiscible appetite but sometimes by reason of the strife which arises from hatred um we could we could list it in, in the irascibles um so saint thomas doesn't list hate hate he lists it on the concupiscible side he doesn't <clears throat> list it as irascible but when hate's very strong when it becomes vehement especially in the face of resistance then it becomes concupiscible i mean or rather irascible um love and hate remember are the basis of all of the other passions right and and the most basic of all of our passions the most basic of our loves is the love of life and i don't mean the love of the good life i mean just the love of life we have this in common with animals self-preservation so that's our first love all other loves are related to it now brother went on this on this um nice tangent towards the end or rather this he went on this nice um, excursus towards the end of his lecture where he took the passions and put them in their highest he wanted to show them in their ideal form and um, he said the highest form of love is love of God and and love of of true happiness and love of virtue and love of perfection Uh, and these things can be very intense now he, he also We need to realize that even when we're acting with our will and we're trying to live a life of virtue, we don't shut off the passions. We don't say, no, I don't need you anymore. I'm using my (laughs) intellect. What actually happens is there's this sort of backflow, if you will, from the intellect and will into the passions so that the entire being can be elevated or moved by what we know in our intellect and what we desire with our will. And in this regard, you can see a person who's virtuous becoming enthusiastic in a, in a passionate way, even. And, I, and I'm using the term in an, in an elevated sense. He become, become enthusiastic in a passionate way about virtue, about things that pertain to, to goodness, uh, either natural goodness or supernatural goodness, so far from denaturing us and dehumanizing us the pursuit of virtue and the pursuit of holiness can actually elevate even our passions um we we catholics are soon to be coming up on lent not just catholics orthodox as well we're going to be coming up on lent and lent is a perfect example of the irascibles disciplining the concupiscibles for a higher end that's what it's about the irascibles pertain to what is arduous and difficult. The concupiscence concupiscence concupiscibles like things, simply speaking. So we take things that we like and we deny ourselves. So the traditional lent, you didn't eat meat, right? You you, you really you really knocked yourself off a lot of things that are that are common and and, and you, you ate less and so forth. People tended to lose a lot of weight. <laughs> uh, I, I look forward that.
0: to it, brother. What's that? I look forward to it. Yeah, me, me too. <laughs> I've already got a new pair of pants, all picked up, ready to go. So, so the so
1: Lent is an is an exercise, if you will, in the irascibles, kind of s- sublimating or, uh, or uh, subduing the concupiscibles and bringing them back into line. the The, the irascibles can sort of slap around
0: the concupiscibles right. and bring them into line, and this is what it ought to do. Um, Brother, there's uh, there's one more point uh, before we uh, – because we have about uh, two and a half minutes left before, before we leave this. Brother talked about this um, in his discussion on uh, when he was reading the Summa. And I thought this was fascinating, and it just goes to, to, to prove a point that he himself has made many times. And that is uh, St. Thomas was reading from uh, St. Jerome – and uh, the argument from St. Jerome was, well, this and this happens, and therefore the uh, hate is and is in both passions. It's, it, it's irascible and concupiscible. And St. Thomas takes the challenge on head-on. He doesn't, he doesn't shy away from it, even though he's talking about a saint. And he gives just a magnificent answer that, well, uh, kind of, but there's a difference between hate and hatred. And Brother made that distinction, too, that you might hate something, and that's uh, that's 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 in the concupiscible. Comp- but hatred might make you fight. He said that's a fighting passion, and that would be irascible, right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: I just thought that was really just a, a great distinction that if, if we hadn't had that in, in the lecture, I'd never I wouldn't have figured that out. <laughs> yeah,
1: well Brother Francis was trying to go for how to express this well in English and he so he made it actually that was his distinction at St. Thomas's between hate and hatred. Um he said you hate a cold but you don't have hatred for a cold. <laughs> right, right,
0: right, right, right. OK, we've, um, we've got about a minute yeah. and a half left, brother. <clears throat> um, I,
1: I, I should I should make a sort of a public service announcement to people who are listening but are not in the chat room. I'm referring to various charts and tables and, and, and notes and things. If you don't have access to the chat room or if you're not into it, if chat rooms aren't for you, send me an email, BAM at Catholicism.org. And I will send you where you can get all this stuff on the Dropbox um, file that we've got of this stuff.
0: Yeah, and I can also, if it's all in the same Dropbox, I can put the link to the Dropbox on the Da homepage, on the master homepage. Perfect. That way people can, because that's where the chat room is, and that can be where the Dropbox link is. And again, folks, uh, if you missed tonight's uh, audio series, don't worry. It'll have its own page up tomorrow to be Da Almanay lecture number three. Its audio file will be there nice and crisp and clean and, and trimmed from the top to the bottom. And if you subscribe to the podcast feed, it'll show up in your podcast as well. Uh, brother, At least us with about 30 seconds. We're uh, looking forward to a brand new episode of Reconquest, starring and featuring my Brother Andre Marie, which sounds like we should all uh, turn our attention towards and listen to. And, of course, if you missed any of the previous uh, 63 episodes of Reconquest, get them all online at crusadechannel.com. Uh, For Brother Andre and Marie, it's Mike Church Saying So Long. We'll see you next week for the next live edition of De Homine. Remember, all the information and audio is on my website at MikeChurch.com. May God bless you and Mary keep you.